I want to read for you today from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 27. I'm going to read it from a translation I don't normally use publicly. I use it a lot privately, uh, the God's Word translation. So if you're following along in your Bible, it's going to be a little different, but you'll be able to keep pace and, and know where we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 12. For example, the body is one unit, and yet it has many parts. As all the parts form one body, so it is with Christ. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether we are Jewish or Greek, slave or free, God gave all of us one spirit to drink. As you know, the human body is not made up of only one part, but many parts. Suppose a foot says, I'm not a hand, so I'm not part of the body. Would that mean it is no longer part of the body? Or suppose an ear says, I am not an eye, for I am not part of the body. Would that mean it's no longer part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? So put each part and every part of the body together. God God put each part and every part of the body together as he wanted it. How could it be a body if it only had one part? So there are many parts, but one body. And I can't say to a hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The opposite is true. The parts of the body that we think are weaker are the ones we really need. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we give special honor. So our unpresentable parts are made more presentable. However, our presentable parts don't need this kind of treatment. God has put the body together and given special honor to the part that doesn't have it. God's purpose was that the body should not be divided, but rather that all of its parts should feel the same concern for each other. If one part of the body suffers, all parts share its suffering. If one part is praised, all the others share in its happiness. You are Christ's body, and each of you is an individual part of it. Thank the Lord. It was the summer of 1977, it was a few months, actually about a month or so, ahead of my wedding. I was helping my dad and my uncle build a house that my uncle and his wife would move into as I was home for the summer and and, uh, looking forward to a wedding and then my final year of college. We went out to the site where the house was being built one morning to begin our work and my aunt showed up and she wasn't usually there but she showed up this day and she was just devastated her devastation was that Elvis Presley had passed away and she was a big fan many of you remember that day and you remember him you remember his life you remember his singing And you remember the conflict that often seemed to accompany him, not conflict with people, but an internal conflict, one where he just wasn't at peace with himself and who it was that he ought to be. People mourned, time went by, but 25 years after he died, his album of greatest hits was still the number one album in the nation. In spite of all that success, uh, 
he was, according to his friends, an unfulfilled and an unhappy man during his life. In an interview with his wife Priscilla, she said this about her husband. Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage, and he wouldn't have to think about it. He didn't know where to look. He didn't know where to find that void in his life being filled. In a sense, he was lost. He was lost. We know why. We know the scriptures well enough to know why he often felt that way. He wasn't living in the purposes and the designs and the plans that God created for him. I think if he were here today, he would say that to us. He loved gospel music. He sang it often. He recorded it. And some of his gospel recordings were his biggest sellers. And yet he never fully gave himself to the things that God called him to do and to be. He never really fully lived out his purpose. Dale Galloway, a now retired pastor, tells the story of a woman who wanted to serve in her church. He said recently a woman in her early 30s, a mature Christian, dedicated to the cause of Christ, went to her pastor and presented herself for volunteer ministry in the life of the church. The pastor didn't know what to do with her. After she persisted with her offer over several months, saying, use me full time, I'll volunteer, he became somewhat irritated with her. And he delegated her to one of his assistant pastors. That was mistake number two, by the way. When she came to the assistant pastor presenting herself for full-time ministry, free of charge, this assistant pastor asked, what if 50 people came in here like you and said they wanted to minister? It would be chaotic. We can't let you run around here being a minister. Now we can use you as a secretary. That's a sad commentary. That's a sad commentary on the church. The truth is that no church can accomplish all at once, uh, all that God wants it to accomplish with about, with, without everyone getting involved. There's a place for everyone in ministry. There's a place for all to serve, to be a part of the thing that God has given us to do. It's why we need each other. When we read this scripture about one part needing the other, we need to apply it in a broader context than we often do. But the broader context is that in the life of the church, we all need each other in order to do the things that God wants us to do. He calls us to ministry. He calls us to serve and to give our lives in the service of others. So what is ministry? Ministry is simply stated, serving others in Jesus' name. It's serving others in Jesus' name. 
That's our identity. Servants. There's a lot of different things in the New Testament as Jesus develops the church and as his first disciples uh, build the church that we could say here's identity. It's not that we have just one identity. We, we have an identity of saints. We have an identity in a lot of different ways. But it seems that the leading identity, the one that Jesus really marks out the most prominently, is this identity of being a servant. It's one of the last ones he represented to us when he met with his disciples the final night before his crucifixion, and he picked up the towel in the basin, and he began to serve. So what is ministry? It's serving others in the name of Jesus. Who does it? Who does ministry? One of the biggest problems that the church has is a mindset that says ministry is for the professionals. Somehow, a long time ago in church history, the idea developed that only certain people were to approach and be able to do ministry. A schism, a split occurred, it developed. Not that the church split and worshipped in different places, the way we would use the word church split today most often, but, but a different kind of split different kind of schism. The idea of clergy and laity. The idea of the professional and the non-professional. Only clergy could read from the Bible in those early years when this split happened. Only clergy could administer the Lord's Supper. Only clergy could baptize. And this two-tiered approach to how the church did ministry, took hold and took root. And there were the the privileged few who were appointed ministers, whatever that meant in addition to serving others in Jesus' name, that they they were the only ones who could do certain things. That two-tiered approach. That's not a new problem. If you remember the story of Moses gathering before the people every day as the nation of Israel would, was growing, they needed someone to help them judge their disputes, to help them settle their problems. In Exodus chapter 18, we have this picture of Moses before the people from morning till evening, all day long, hearing people's complaints against each other and serving as their judge their defender, their arbitrator. And so this continued for a long time, and the, the, if you want to use courtroom analogy, the cases stacked up. And Moses wasn't keeping up. He wasn't able to, to represent the people because there were too many things going on, and one person couldn't do it all. And so his father-in-law was looking and noticing and said, Moses, you can't keep doing this. Uh, This is silliness. And he gave him a different plan. He said, why don't you appoint some people to help you? Appoint them to serve over fifties and tens and and hundreds and thousands. Divide up the labor, he was saying. Uh, Empower some others to help you accomplish this. And he followed his father-in-law's advice. I've got two pictures. I don't know how clear they'll be. I hope they're clear enough that you can get it. But here's Moses' plan as he's the leader. Can you see that? That was Moses' plan. 
How well do you think that's really going to work? And then here's Jethro's plan. Share the work. Share the load. So even though in the Old Testament they weren't talking about ministry as such, they weren't talking about the parts of the body each doing their work, they were recognizing that as their community grew and matured, that the way they went about doing things had to change. It appears that Jethro's idea took root from the very earliest times of the church and its development. We, we find the, the apostles applying this kind of plan to their leadership of the church. Acts chapter 6 is one of those places where we see this, that the, the, some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food because they were going hungry. No one was serving them. It might have been uh, an issue of uh, too many women and families with a need for the servants to give. It also could have been an issue of different ethnic rootage and having to deal with that. But the apostles used this Jethro idea They said, you know, we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're fulfilling the plan that we've been given to preach the word and to pray, to seek God's face. We're going to appoint some other men. And you you know the names, although some of them, this is the only time in scriptures we encounter their names. And they appointed this group of men to make sure that all of the needs of the women were met. They appointed seven. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. Parmenas, Nicholas of Antioch. And those seven were anointed and prayed for and set free to do the work that God would ordain to make sure that the needs of the community were met. Verse 7, Acts chapter 6 says, God's message was preached in ever-widening circles. Why? Because everybody was getting involved. Everyone was working to make sure that all of the needs were met. Bill Hybels says it this way. The power of the church is truly the power of everybody. The power of the church is truly the power of everybody. Imagine a church that is a place where everyone makes a difference where everyone gets involved, where everyone understands that they have a place to serve, where everyone understands that they have a ministry to give. The Apostle Peter, talking about us as the church, says, but you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. You're a kingdom of priests. That's the description of the church. The priest is a servant bringing forth the truth of God and helping it intersect the lives of people from day to day. And there was no uh, idea that some were priests and some weren't, uh, not in the church necessarily, and priests didn't mean the same thing that it means for us today. It just simply meant that here are men and women who serve in Jesus' name to touch people, to share with them, to help them. 
often people's first response to the idea that they can and should do ministry is, I couldn't do that. And followed with a list of reasons. The two most popular are, I'm not ready yet. I need to grow more in Christ. The second one, I don't have anything to offer. Usually when we really examine ourselves, we find that those things aren't true, but that's our first response. It's interesting to note that as the church developed, that it was developed by people in those early days who who were just ordinary common people. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 4, it says this about the people observing what was happening in the early church. Not yet part of it, maybe they were never a part of it, but here's what they saw and what they said. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, the, the community of Jerusalem, uh, they knew that this new thing was growing up and developing. They might not have even had a name for it yet in the greater population. They might not have called it church. They might not have called it uh, by the names that we understand. But they knew something was happening. And their surprise was that it was happening through a group of people who were not the people you would expect. They were not the ones who had been to all the right schools, that had all the right connections, that knew all the right people. They were just ordinary unschooled men and women who gave their hearts and their lives to serve Jesus. And notice what the scripture says. It wasn't about the school. It wasn't about the training. It wasn't about the giftedness. It says they took note that they had been with Jesus. What does it take for us to be servants in the community around us? A relationship with Jesus. Because when we've been with Jesus, we capture his heart. We capture his spirit. It it becomes a part of us. It moves us. It drives us. It empowers us to live for him and to give ourselves for him. The first century church in which the apostles participated was a potent church. They They were potent. They were powerful. And yet Paul reminds the Corinthians... Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You see, this idea that when Jesus asks us to serve, to, be, to sit there and say, I, I don't have the right training, I'm not the right person, I, I don't have the right gifts or talents or abilities, that, that isn't where Jesus starts. Jesus starts with a person who has given his life to him, who has a heart that captures the heart of Jesus, and they begin to serve. For God is at work within them, and he helps them to do what what he wants. Ministry is every Christian's responsibility. Everyone can and should serve others in the name of Jesus. The Bible's teaching is that all of us have that responsibility. So how do we find our ministry? How do we figure that out? I'll remind you of this little acrostic that many of you already know. You've heard me teach it before. It's the, the little acrostic shape. 
Spiritual gifts and heart and abilities and personality experiences all wired together in a way that God can use so that we can serve other people. He allows all of who we are to equip us for the work that he gives us to do. So finding your ministry is, first of all, to listen to God for direction and to look within yourself to focus that direction. It might be that he calls you to join something he's already doing within the life of the church. But more and more I realize that that call usually is God calling someone to something that's entirely new, something that's entirely different. The church will never become all God intends us to be if the only ministries we ever offer are the ones we offer today. He's always calling us to something new. Many of you will find that God wants to use you to create this something new to serve people around you. It might be a very small thing that only a few will see and notice, but in the economy of God's heaven, it's a very big thing. Let me give you an example. There was an elderly widow restricted in her activities, but she wanted to serve Christ. And after praying about this, Uh, despondent a little bit that because of her life situation, she could no longer do the things she used to do. Uh, She realized that there was still a way she could bring blessing to others, and that was by playing the piano. She couldn't play as well as she used to. She couldn't play in the same settings that she used to. She didn't have all the same opportunities that she used to have. But she decided that she would play the piano to help people, but she would do it in a very new and a different way. And often we would look at this and not see it as ministry, but I think it is. She placed an ad in the newspaper of her hometown, which happened to be the Oakland Tribune. Here's the ad. Pianist will play hymns by phone daily for those who are sick and despondent. The service is free. The notice, the ad included her phone number. And when people called, she would ask, what hymn would you like to hear? They would tell her she would set the phone down by her piano and she would play it. Within a few months, her playing had brought cheer to several hundred people. Many of them freely poured out their hearts to her and she was able to help them and to encourage them, to pray for them and to lift them up. Why? By understanding that Even with the limitations of her current situation, there were still ways for her to touch people and to bless people. And she found a way to do it that didn't require to leave home, didn't require to drive anywhere. Just said, I'm going to use the gifts and abilities, the shape that God has given me to bless a few other people. I think of Marge Cottom. Marge was a woman in the previous congregation I served in Illinois. A very quiet person. She would never want attention called to herself. She would be slinking down in her seat right now if she were here and and heard me call out her name. But Marge did a very huge ministry in the life of our congregation there in Illinois. And uh, that was a medium-sized church. We'd have a couple hundred people on Sundays. And there were probably four or five hundred people in the community that called it their church home, even though uh, many of them we never saw until it was time for a wedding or a funeral. But Marge had a very special ministry. Every birthday, every hospital, hospitalization, every shift in life, every opportunity to encourage, she would 
write out uh, a, a card and send it. And sign it not just from herself, but also from the church. So that in all kinds of ways that really most of the church never even knew because it, many times it wasn't about a birthday or something like that. Uh, we, we sent those from the office often. But it was a way that she could touch people and encourage them and help them. And if she knew there was something going on in a person's life, she would just send a card. Many of you do that kind of thing. You do it quietly and we don't know about it. But it happens. And that's ministry. That's touching and serving others. Why do we do it? Why do we do ministry? We do it because it's biblical. We do it because we understand that Jesus called us to be servants. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Ephesians 2, 7. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. God wants us to serve him as partners in the great work of building his church. And we can do that. Rodney Stark writes in his book, The Rise of Christianity, in the early centuries of the church, Christ's followers, through their compassion and kindness, served people around them. As a result, it is estimated that the early church grew at a rate of 40% per decade during its first several centuries. 40% per decade, just because People, out of kindness and compassion, serve the people around them. That's the legacy of the church that we're a part of. To be servants. And it's the call to us. As a congregation, we look for places where we can serve in the community. And, and we, need to, we need to do better, honestly. Uh, but we look for these places, and we have relationships. Some of them we've established. Some of them we're looking forward to. Play Place with Autistic Children is one of those places. And People from our congregation, one or two, have volunteered in the helping of getting that, that uh, opportunity up and running in our community as they serve families today. Uh, that place is open. Uh, this afternoon, they're, they're having their costumes and candy bash because autistic children don't like to be out in public. They don't do the Halloween thing that so many families do. But uh, the staff at Play Place is opening their doors just so kids can come in and have fun. The invitation has been for businesses and organizations to come in and pass out candy and can share uh, information about their business. So while we're having our business meeting here today, some friends of the church will be there representing us, handing out a little bit of information about us, handing out some candy, serving in the name of Christ. There are opportunities for us to join in. Recently, a young man came to my office named Jason Fulham. Uh, Jason works for Youth for Christ in East Michigan. 
And he sat down and told his story. He used to be a youth pastor at one of the churches in our community. Now he's working for Youth for Christ. And they've long had on their target list of schools where they want to start their, their ministry at, as Heritage Junior High. And so he came and talked to me about that opportunity. And I've invited him. The first, I think it's the first weekend of December. He'll come and he'll share with us about a place where we might be able to have a partnership Because we want to reach young people. We want to bless young people. Maybe this is a way we can do it. We don't know yet. But we keep looking for ways and places where we can serve. Maybe that'll be one of them. A friend of mine named Teresa started uh, probably about eight years ago an organization called Friends of Foster Kids here in the community. Uh, I was surprised to learn that most foster kids don't really get all of the things that they should from their foster parents. And one of the things they usually don't get is they don't get a Christmas present. That broke Teresa's heart. And her vision is that every foster child, uh, when she started in Macomb County, now it's Macomb and Oakland County, will have Christmas presents. And she has undertaken to do that. And it now encompasses uh, many thousands of dollars and many hundreds of volunteers. But they make sure that every foster child gets Christmas. Over the next couple of months, we're going to create some opportunities for us as a congregation, those of you who would like to serve, to go and help wrap the presents, get things ready, maybe donate some of the presents. You you don't actually get to meet the foster children. That violates the confidentiality of, of their relationships. But it's a way to serve, a way to go. You saw in your bulletin this morning a picture of Nari and Amy... Galaga. Nari and Amy are getting ready, preparing to go to Paris, France uh, with uh, a mission organization called Greater Europe Mission. They want to be church planters. They want to start a church. And as they shared their story with the missions team uh, last week, I think it was, uh, we were kind of not totally surprised, but a little surprised to learn how little Christian influence there is in France. I did not know this, but 80% of the people in France have never seen or owned a Bible. 80%. France is one of the least Christianized countries in the world. And we're going to meet with Nari and Amy and figure out how we can help them to go touch a city. They're going to a place where we cannot go, at least not go to live and how we can partner with them and help them because we're called to be servants. We're called to bless others in the name of Jesus. Whether it's here or somewhere else in the country, somewhere else around the world, we're called to do that. We already partner with Bobby and Jenny Miesel as our Living Link missionaries who are stationed in Cote d'Ivoire. They work with Children of Promise, a Church of God child sponsorship organization to help provide health and nutrition and education to people. We look for places to serve. Whether we do it hands-on, whether we do it in other ways, we want to be people who serve. We're a community of people blessed by God so that we can bless the world. We're called to serve. Bill Hybels, in his little book, A Volunteer Revolution, said this. Without the work of volunteers, 
Countless wounds will not be tended. Mouths will not be fed. Grieving people will not be comforted. Broken marriages will not be mended. Lonely people will not be embraced. Children will not be nurtured. Countless cups of cold water will never be offered in Jesus' name. And countless spiritual seekers will never be befriended and coached toward Christ. God calls us to serve. And we give our hearts, our lives, our willingness to serve and touch people with the love and the grace of Jesus, hoping that those touches of compassion someday, sometime, will afford an opportunity to have a conversation about Jesus himself and lead them to Christ. The response today, obviously, uh, is not necessarily to come to the forward and come forward and ask us to pray for you. The response today is one of two things. Many of you are already serving in very powerful and profound ways. And so the response is the the recommitment of your heart and your life to live as Jesus did, to serve others. But maybe some of you today, as I have spoken, have been prompted and pricked by the, the Holy Spirit, saying there's more you could do. There's a place you could serve. There's an opportunity I've created for you. And your response will be to leave this place and to make that opportunity happen to engage in touching and helping and blessing and serving others in the name of Jesus. If we can help you to do that as a church, we want to. So it's not that don't, it's not don't tell us about it. We want to hear all about it. We want to know the places where you're serving, the things that you're doing, whether it's leading a Bible study, whether it's serving as a volunteer in a kitchen someplace to feed the, the homeless, whatever it is, because that's ministry done in Jesus' name whether it's reading to students in a classroom in an elementary school, wherever it is, wherever you go, you have the opportunity to bless others, to serve in Jesus' name. Let's do that with all our hearts, with all our compassion, with all our giftedness. Let's pray. Stand with me as we pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you today and experience the wonder and the beauty of worshiping together. We're so glad to be a part of your church. You've touched our lives with the power and presence of your love, your grace that has forgiven us. Lord, we ask you to touch us again with a a heart of compassion. May we never be so self-focused that we forget to see the places of need around us that you have created us to bless and to touch and to help in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Help our eyes always to be open to the places where you're sending us so that we can go and make disciples of all nations. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.